Welcome to the Pet Loss Companion. I'm Ken Dolan Del Vecchio. I'm here with my friend and co-author, Nancy Saxton Lopez. And this is a program that we do every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern time for about a half hour. It is based on the book that we wrote a few years back. It's called The Pet Loss Companion, Healing Advice from Family Therapists Who Lead Pet Loss Groups. And we do this broadcast because it allows us to reach a broader audience. And it also allows us to have a dialogue with you who are listening. Mm -hmm. And so we invite you to get in touch with us and to share your stories, to share your recommendations for guests and topics. And you can reach me at kenddv at gmail.com. All the information I'm about to share now is in the description below the video as well, or below the podcast. So you can reference it there. You can reach Nancy at n Saxton Lopez at csmpc.com. That's N S A X T O N L O P E Z at csmpc.com. And when you write to us, if you share a story, please let us know if it's okay to share our to share your story with our audience, mm -hmm. because that's a lot of what we do here. And it is very, very helpful for people to hear what other people have experienced. If you would like us to share your story, also note that you can tell us which parts of it maybe you would prefer that we didn't share. Because sometimes people will send us a story and they'll say, it's great to share most of this, but there's one piece that maybe I'd like you to leave out. That's fine. Yeah. Or they may want their names changed. Right? Names changed. We only use first sure. names anyway. And also, we want to make it really clear. You can say, I don't want you to share my right. story. We're still going to respond to you. We'll still of respond course. and give you our thoughts. We'll let you know also that we are building to a place where we will be able to share the emails that we receive and our responses as text. We don't have that set up yet. We'll keep you posted on that. But if you hear this broadcast and you have sent us emails and we have responded to you, it would be great if you let us know if it'd be okay for us to post your email and our responses on a, on a blog that people could access because some people gain uh, information better through reading yeah, reading mm -hmm. and and again we're not going to use first names and we will exclude anything that you think might be important for us to exclude but we're just trying to find ways to let people benefit from this content as much as they possibly can mm -hmm. you can support our work on this program through a number of avenues through venmo paypal monthly subscription all of the above are in our program description and we want to thank a new subscriber whose name is Meg. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Meg. Thank you, Meg. And uh, we really appreciate that. And this program is a friend of Dakin Humane Society in Springfield, Massachusetts. For more information on Dakin, you can go to D-A-K-I-N-H-U-M-A-N-E.org. Dakin sponsors a cost-free Zoom pet law support group that I facilitate. It's on the second Tuesday of every month and runs 6 p.m. to 7.30 Eastern time. And the RSVP link is attached. They, this group will be next Tuesday, which is Valentine's Day, 
and it would, I'd be happy to have you join me. You must do the RSVP though in order to get the link, and you can join from anywhere in the world and yeah. the country. People have been with us from all over the place, and it's been a very rich exchange. And so I invite you to join us for that. Please consider also pressing the subscribe button on YouTube if you find this program valuable. It. If you subscribe on YouTube, it raises the profile of the program when people are looking for pet loss resources. And so it will help people find the program more readily. And we've we've heard now from a number of people who say that they were searching for the program and it popped up and it was it was particularly helpful for them. So that would be very helpful as well. Nancy? Yes, tonight, oh, and I also want to mention that we have had a lot of mail and we really appreciate that mail. And we have gotten back to everyone personally. However, we will get it on the show. It just takes a little bit of time. So if you're looking for that, no worries, we'll get there. Um, tonight we have two stories and they really have to do with euthanasia. And we all know how difficult a euthanasia decision is. It's one of the most uh, in, intensive um, challenging decision you will ever make, even if you know it's the right thing to do. Um, and there's always guilt associated. Now, in these two stories, and one um, is from Julie in England for her little Westie, um, and his name is Sunny Boy. And the other, little Sunny Boy, so cute. Um, and the other is Susan with Chloe. And so what we're going to do, he's so cute, is to, we're going to, I'm going to talk, um, you know, talk about Julie's story. I'll, I'll, I'll read her story. And then Ken's going to read Susan's story. So then we're going to talk about euthanasia at the end because they they're both have problematic, unfortunately, euthanasias. Uh, dear Ken and Nancy, I came across your podcast, YouTube, when searching for support on the grief I'm going through after losing my beautiful soul companion, Sunny Boy. Sunny Boy was a West Highland White Terrier who was 15 and a half when he passed over the Rainbow Bridge on the 13th of December in 2022. I know it was a good age, but that just makes it harder as we spent so much time together. He had good health up until two years ago when he was diagnosed with a liver tumor that, although aggressive, was removed in a successful operation and never returned. Then three months later, during a regular ultrasound scan, a benign tumor on his adrenal gland was picked up that grew so quickly, and because of his age and where the tumor was, meant trying to remove it was not an option. His passing was very traumatic as it grew so big so quickly that his veins collapsed, sedated, and then it collapsed and it was impossible for the vet to euthanize in the normal way. So he had to be sedated and then injected into the heart, which was torture to experience. I have no children. He was my baby. And all the love I had was for him. We were inseparable and we did everything together. He was my shadow, so I feel half of me is dead. In fact, I don't want to be here, but in one of your podcasts, I heard you mention that this is quite a natural feeling, and many owners feel the same way, which did help me realize that I'm not a selfish person, just one that's feeling so low at the moment. 
how do I cope during this very difficult time as it's now three weeks and this was back in December since he passed away and I know it's still early days but it's getting harder not easier and I'm really not coping very well I'm trying to keep busy and chat to my supportive partner and friends plus I've kept up my exercise that's good but nothing seems to be helping with the very very heavy heart and black cloud of sadness I feel all the time I live in England. Thank you for your help, Julie. There again is Sunny Boy. A couple of pictures of this cute little guy. And now we'll share from Susan mm -hmm. about Chloe. I'll put a picture of Chloe up here. Sweet girl. What a sweet hello, girl. Hello, Ken. I was. I am so grateful. I came across your podcast with Nancy this week. I've been listening almost nonstop the last three days for comfort in dealing with my loss. You're doing a wonderful thing with your conversations. This past Saturday was the day we had to let our precious Chloe go. Chloe was a beautiful, petite, orange female tabby. She was a very social talker and loved to give and receive affection. She was my sweet baby girl for the past 18 years. It was so painful to let her go. We found out over the holidays she had a tumor in her bladder through an ultrasound. Her symptoms started the week before Christmas, and just three weeks later, she's gone. The vet did not believe it was a cancerous tumor, but prescribed us paroxicam as he thought it might help with reducing the size of the tumor as well as any pain. Within several days of giving her the small daily dose, she stopped eating. I had researched prior to giving it to her and learned that a side effect could be loss of appetite or anorexia, but felt I should try and help her by using the medication. Her tumor had caused bleeding and frequent trips to her cat box, with her sometimes sitting in it for long periods trying to go. I wanted to make her more comfortable. She stopped eating with just a few days of within just a few days of taking the medication and now was starving herself. I tried various foods to encourage eating, but nothing interested her. I was researching loss of appetite and not eating and learned how this affects her liver and saw her starting to shut down. I was overwhelmed with guilt, wondering if I should give her her meds. After three days of not eating and her little nine pound body losing weight, I came to the excruciating decision that I couldn't let her suffer. I had to consider that I had my sweet Chloe for 18 years and she had had a, a healthy 18 years. Perhaps that's why it's so hard. How could she get so sick all of a sudden? It was Saturday afternoon and I was researching mobile vets at the advice of my daughter so we both could be home for our goodbye. I would need vet services for Sunday and looked for highly rated vets. I told my husband that we would book an appointment first thing Sunday morning. That night, I secretly hoped she would pass peacefully in her sleep, which is very common. Actually. Yeah. When I went to bed, I left her resting on our ottoman in the living room with my husband. I didn't want to be selfish and drag her into bed with me, even though she slept with me 95% of the time. Shortly after going to bed, she came in gave me her nightly meow, and I pulled her up to snuggle. She always snuggled in my right arm and purred to sleep. That night, I watched her almost all through the night, looking at her sweet face and eyes. She didn't appear to sleep either. I quietly cried through the night and did all I could to keep myself present with her 
and not let my thoughts go wild to her passing. I tried so hard to stay present and be with her. This was difficult as I didn't want to ruin my remaining time with her. My nose was stuffy and my eyes were wet. She also smelled, she always smelled so good and I couldn't smell her while her soft, super soft fur was getting all wet from my tears, making me even more sad. I felt like I was ruining these final moments. When morning came, we got up and tried to proceed with our normal routine, which was to feed the cats, clean the box, and chill. Chloe was slow to move around and seemed lost. She knew it was feeding time, but would just watch our other cat, Bella, eat. Chloe loved ice water, so I filled her bowl with fresh ice water, and she even hesitated to drink it. I was feeling bad that I was waiting too long for her appointment, which I had my husband make for 12 o'clock noon. Then the mobile vet was an hour late, but I cuddled with Chloe longer. When the vet came, to, came, he asked zero questions, nor did he examine her. He proceeded to give her a sedative, even though she was already calm and lethargic. I was traumatized just as much as she was when she cried out and squirmed in pain from that injection. To see her reaction from the sedative was heartbreaking. I really thought we were going to be giving her a peaceful send-off. So far, it was not. Her eyes wide open and her tongue hanging out, moving uncontrollably, was too much for me. He gave her the second shot intravenously, but I couldn't watch because of the initial reaction to the first shot. I did my best to still comfort her, telling her I was so sorry and that I loved her, and then she was gone. I sobbed the rest of the day, questioning everything. I had requested her to be communally cremated without really understanding what that meant. Monday morning, I called the vet back and asked where she was being cremated and where her ashes would go, something I didn't know to ask up front. The, the vet gave me the number of the pet crematory, so I called. He was very patient with my questions, but I learned that her remains would be disposed of as medical waste. Mm -hmm. it, it was heartbreaking to hear as she was not waste to me. The rest of the day, I was overwhelmed with guilt, so much so that the next morning I called both the vet and the crematory and was able to change this to individual cremains cremation, and got her remains back. I wanted to control when and where her ashes go. This brought me some comfort. The past few days, I've been trying to understand what went wrong. This wasn't a peaceful send-off, and I decided to Google my situation. I found a journal entitled Euthanasia Gone Wrong, and it seemed similar, and it read similar to my experience. I got to the comments and couldn't believe that almost 200 comments shared a similar experience. I have now listened to a good deal of your podcast and have heard Nancy say numerous times that it should be peaceful. If so, why have we all experienced something so different? This doesn't seem fair to our beloved pets. It's been a few days now and I'm coping better, especially listening to your words and comfort and support along with suggestions to keep Chloe's memory alive. I've been looking at some of my favorite pictures of her and have more wonderful memories coming back to me. Journaling these is comforting. Thank you again, and please feel free to share any part of this in one of your podcasts. I know I'll keep listening for some time to come as it soothes me to know I'm not alone in my sorrow. Oh. You know, 
euthanasia is a hard, hard decision to make as it is. And there are many times that euthanasia is peaceful. However, we have heard over the many years that we've been doing this, and it appears that it's more so mobile vet. And, you know, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to say too much against mobile vets. I think that they're great. However, I do think that there needs to be some, a mobile vet that does more than just come in and start process. Okay. Now the peaceful, you know, I've always had my experience as a peaceful euthanasia because I've always been able to go to, to my own vet you know, the veterinarians that have taken care of my, my babies for their lifetimes. However, I have heard that sometimes, and it, it just happens that some mobile vets may not do a, you know, look at and assess and evaluate where the animal is. And that's the trouble because we don't know, right? Like what happened... Um, with Julie is the illness that Sonny Boy had collapsed his veins, which means that they could not get an IV in him, which meant that the only way then to do it is to inject in the heart, which is such a really horrendous thing to experience. To watch, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I think... Uh, and I would hope that, that there are, and if people out there have had a mobile, um, you know, euthanasia, it's, it's worked out well. And I do work with a hospital, with a hospice, the hospice uh, and, and um, acupuncture vet, end of life vet, who is never, she's never had that issue, you know, with, with her performing euthanasias. So, but that's all she does. That is her specialty. So, you know, I, it's, I think for, for educational purposes, and it's nice to have a euthanasia at home, you want to make sure that you've done, and, and how can you do sometimes that research because you're so upset and, 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 and emotional around what you're doing anyway, but to really get someone or, you know, talk to someone and get a lot of information before because i've i've seen that happen with other people i've talked to that there was a woman with a dog and she called this mobile vet and the vet got at she got upset because she couldn't find a vein and so this whole process um started so i don't know ken what are your thoughts i mean well something like this happened when we were losing our abigail we brought her to the vet she had she had a she was having trouble breathing and we brought her to the vet and we decided with our vet that she should go to the emergency vet and perhaps would be sustained by a an oxygen cage an oxygen tent and while we were we were very short distance driving to the emergency vet which is about a half hour away or 20 minutes away she started really going into death throes. So we turned around and we went back to our vet and we asked if they could euthanize her because she was really struggling. 
and th this vet who was not who had not seen her before could not find a vein yeah. she tried twice and we were holding abigail she's a tiny little dog she was six pounds mm -hmm. if 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 that probably a little less than that and she was she said now i'm gonna put the needle in her heart and i said no you're not <laughs> it's just it's, we're gonna just let her go because she was i mean she was very close to expiring and and we did we held her for a couple more minutes and she she was gone mm -hmm. but that was very disturbing and sure. I, I i also think though that these these times are probably more distressing for us than they are for our beloved mm -hmm. animal companion because I, I i i generally have the impression that they are already either sedated they're not really conscious any longer or they are in abigail's case you know, she was being stuck twice i didn't want her being stuck again mm -hmm. she was so far in the dying process mm -hmm. that i don't think that I, I don't imagine she was experiencing much anymore because she was only going to be with us for another minute or two. And and so I, I think that this is probably something that's important to keep in mind, that it's probably more distressing to us to watch and be part of than it is experientially for the animal who's already sedated or well on their way to expiring. And, and I also just wanted to mention, you and I have recently had contact with and had the the, the privilege of doing a, 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 a con an on-air conversation with Lap of Love, yeah. which is a, it's a network of veterinarians who offer hospice and in-home euthanasia. And it's just something that to keep in mind. Again, it's called Lap of Love. And they are a growing network who specialize in the in end-of-life care. And, and that is now become much more of a specialty. Yeah. And in fact, as you're talking, I'm thinking of getting in touch with the vet that I work with and maybe for her to be a guest on the show. Yeah. So yeah. She, because she is a special and I think there's there's certifications with this, right? I mean, yeah. there yeah. this is a specialty. Yeah. So yeah. that's all she does is end of life acupuncture and hospice. So and that said, that may give people, oh, okay, I want to do this at home. And usually general practice vets cannot do it in your house because they have to have a vet tech come with them. You know, okay. they, they can't just they can't just do it. So at least in New Jersey, I don't know where it is in other places. Um, but I think I'll contact her because I, she may have some real insight as to what to do, what to look for. Um, I'll see if she'd be willing to come on the show. Yeah. And, and, and Susan's story in particular is disturbing because it sounds like that veterinarian didn't even, well, he didn't even that, look at the, look make it. an effort to connect with them by asking some oh, questions. Mm -mm. And mm -mm. they were all, that vet was already an hour late, which is sort of understandable. And that's another thing we hear is that it, it, it generally, it seems takes longer than anticipated mm -hmm. because it's a very human contact intensive process. That's it right. isn't just a technical, it isn't just a technical exercise. It's a, it's a, it's the end of life of a beloved family member. And it often requires quite a bit of time and conversation prior to 
the actual injections. And so I, it sounds like sometimes there's, there isn't really an understanding of that on the part of the veterinarian. And again, I mean, I don't want to say anything negative about veterinarians. Yeah, I mean, because, you know. helpful. But, yes. some, but, but another thing is that, you know, like with all professionals, some are very skilled at interacting with other human beings. And some, and some are not so skilled. And when we spoke with Dr. Cole recently, she alluded <laughs> to that. Well, and, well, I remember I remember working at Blue Pearl, right? I did my internship for my VSW at Blue Pearl, one of the Blue Pearls. And um, a lot of the veterinarians there said, oh, I'm glad you're here because we, you know, we just don't, we're not really comfortable with humans, right? So we, we yeah, need somebody yeah. like you to talk to them, right? Because th what they want to do is take care of the animals. That's right, what right. they need to do. However, each animal comes with, a human being and in a, um, and a human being in an extraordinarily fragile frame of right. mind and heart when it's the end Especially, of their right, life. end of life right yeah and but i do i do think we want to we want to acknowledge that while euthanasia is is a great decision in in almost every case because it's it, it's it's very much a deliberate decision that's made with consultation with family members with respected and loved others with veterinarians it it is the right thing to do when you know that there's there's just no there's nothing turn. else there's, there's just all that all that lies ahead for your friend is suffering if you right. don't do it and so it's a good idea to do and and yes sometimes it's just it's going to it's not going to be an, an extraordinarily soothing and pleasant end but still, it's gonna it's gonna save them from protracted distress, right. pain, suffering that probably will be far worse than even what's what's been described in some of these so, stories that we've heard and others that we've heard over the years. Well, and and on top of that, sometimes even in a natural death, you know, it can be peaceful, and sometimes it's not. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it, there could be depending on the animal and depending on what they're they're suffering from, it could be agonizing to watch. Yeah, any way that we look at it, right? Yep. Yep. So, but we can if we know and we've talked to everyone. And yes, it's always hard to let them go to make that decision. You know how many people said, "I'm God. I'm not God. I made this decision um, to kill my animal." and and we always talk about you're not killing them the diseases or the accident did, yeah. you know? And so, and that, that takes that a little, it softens that a little bit because you're giving them the gift that they won't suffer anymore. Yeah. 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 I, I want to go back to, and just mention Julie said that she didn't feel like being here anymore. And that yes. is, that is a somewhat common experience. Mm -hmm. And the, Thing that it's just really important to keep in mind is if that if that is an experience that's very powerful and unrelenting, mm -hmm. it isn't just fleeting. You really deserve to talk to a therapist. To a, to a therapist, absolutely. Because you you need to be safe. I mean, it's very painful to go through grief, but you deserve all the help you possibly can can get and need. And if you are feeling 
despondent to the point where you're thinking about doing something self-destructive, you absolutely deserve you to, to talk to somebody. to somebody about that. And you call 988 if you want to talk to somebody on the phone. That's the, yeah. the suicide helpline or just the emotional distress help. You don't have to be to the point of actually wanting to hurt yourself to call that number and get some support immediately from one of the people on the phone who's been trained to help. And it's just a very important thing to keep in mind that you, we deserve to be cared for when we're having an extraordinarily difficult time with our grief. And we shouldn't hesitate. We shouldn't feel stigmatized. We should, we should do what's necessary to help us feel better. And and interestingly enough, Julie was working through that, right? She had said mm-hmm. she was starting to look at pictures and, and mm-hmm. do things. Yep. Um, but that feeling is a, when I'm, I'm working with someone right now who, who unfortunately watched his dog get hit by a car. And, and what he's saying, I want to be with him. Right? Yeah. He said, I'm not going to harm myself. I want to be with him. Mm-hmm. And so that's a very common, it's a very common feeling that we have. Yep. Yep. But like Ken says, if it's persistent, if it gets worse, then it's really important to talk to somebody. Yeah. And we will give you resources. We've done this. So if people are concerned and they don't know where to turn, you can get in touch with us. Yep. So we want to thank yeah. Julie and Susan very much yes. for sharing their thank stories. You. And we also just want to remind you again, if, if you, if you, can subscribe on YouTube, press the subscribe button. That will help other people find this program and that will then extend the, the, the network of assistance that we're all able to offer. So we'll Thanks. see you next week. Huh? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we'll see you next week, Nancy. Bye. Good night.